The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF Indeed. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell on the air and in your ears for the hour. We hope our luck holds up. And if we stay on the good side of bad boy, Benny Mathers at the control board. He's the man controlling everything universally today because UFOs will factor significantly in our conversation of this hour. Benny, how are you doing? Doing very well. I can't do anything to stop them. They're on their way. I thought you joined the Star Command if you were with them. <laughs> I might be already. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> you could be persuaded. Yes, I can't be persuaded. Well, we're very happy to have our guest with us, though the occasion is sad because Stanton T. Friedman, widely regarded around the world as the father of ufology, the scientific study of the UFO phenomenon, has passed away. Uh, we didn't get to this subject because of prior commitments, but we definitely were not going to ignore the opportunity to offer a show in memoriam of Mr. Friedman. He was an extraordinary man. His reputation is going to live on for a long, long time, as will the quality of his work. And we decided the best person for Suzanne and I to invite in his memory and for the sake of recollection and of really triumphantly celebrating the life well-lived of Stanton Friedman, we invited his very good friend and colleague, Kathleen Marden, to join us, and she'll be with us in just a moment. Suzanne, thank you for being here to do this. Uh, you had a mishap. It appears that maybe you've broken your toe. Maybe. But, but you suited up to play, I'm, and here I'm you here. are. I'm here, broken toe and all. You don't find that kind of courage around this galaxy very often. <laughs> That's some serious you, so. pain tolerance. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, there, there will be some pain meds in my future. <laughs> After this hour is over. Right. <laughs> okay. You know what? I would like to go ahead and do the, okay. the mad props, as Please. we call them, and then we'll bring Kathleen Martin on Sounds with good. us. Uh, first and foremost, let me say that Stanton T. Friedman was and continues to be the best-known scientific ufologist in North America and probably the world. As a nuclear physicist, he has worked on classified fission and fusion as a ufologist. He has lectured at more than 600 colleges in 50 states, nine provinces, and 18 countries. I'm sure the, name, the number by now uh, is over 18. I'm just not sure specifically how many, but he definitely is appreciated worldwide. Mr. Friedman was co-author of the Roswell book, Crash at Corona. And he appeared on TV documentaries on the History Channel and Sci-Fi Channel, TV and radio programs, too numerous to mention. But he was all over the place whenever people were open to hearing about the UFO phenomenon, and particularly the Roswell incident. Kathleen Marden, our guest today, is Betty Hill's niece. And you're going to find out more, and I know our faithful listeners know all about this already, but for her to be Betty Hill's niece is important in and of itself. She is also trustee of the Hill's estate. She has all of Betty and Barney Hill's papers and correspondence. As I say, this will be under discussion, too. For the past 10 years, beyond 10 years, Kathleen Martin has served on the board of directors of the Mutual UFO Network, the largest international UFO organization, and as director of field investigator training for MUFON, as it's known. She also is a dear friend and colleague of the late, great Stanton T. Friedman. Today, we welcome back Kathleen Martin. After about six years, I think, Kathleen, I'm sorry it's been so long. Yes, it has been a long time, and my bio has been updated since then. Uh, I am no longer the director of field investigator training for MUFON. I am now their director of experiencer research and have been since 2011. And I have written three books with Stanton Friedman. Three? Well, thank was, you. was Captured the first one, or captured where does it was, fit? In? Yes, Captured was the first one, the Betty okay. and Barney Hill UFO experience. And then we wrote Science Was Wrong. Uh, we found that we worked so well together. Our uh, minds worked in the same way. We were close friends. And uh, so we decided to write a third book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. That was published in 2016. Oh, I've got to read that one. You know, what's in, well, I'll tell you what's interesting uh, about this is that, you know, Gary and I, we've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, 
but we we have met so few of them in person. And we did meet Stanton Friedman in person in Seattle, where he was doing uh, a lecture, and we, we went down to the Space Needle area and went to meet him, which I was so grateful to do, and sit in on one of his lectures about uh, abductees. And Gary and I were, were doing a lot of shows on uh, ufology, and we had a chance to meet you, and I believe that was in Scottsdale, wasn't it, Gary? Yes, it was. We, Fort McDowell. For, we met you at, uh, and so here's two people that we actually got to see in person, not just uh -huh. you know on the telephone or on the radio. <laughs> and so we were happy for that, but our, our show, after doing some ufology, we kind of went in a different direction. And so we've, we've only done maybe one show a year or at at most two a year, but I think pretty much down as we as we started looking more at um, all the self-help genre and, and other things. Mm -hmm. But it was such a it was such an honor to meet Stanton Friedman as well as yourself, Kathleen. Um, people okay. who have a good reputation in the uh, ufology world, and to hear the story of Betty and Barney Hill from you and also to hear about abductees from Stanton Friedman. And so this is, this is one of those good memories that I keep with me for having had the, uh, the honor to meet both of you. And um, that's what I wanted to say right off the bat. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we always enjoy speaking with the public. Uh, Stan has uh, appeared in so many places, 600 colleges, a hundred professional groups, and probably hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand or more uh, UFO conferences around the world. He was working to uh, try to get 20 foreign countries, but he decided to give up that 20th. He canceled it uh, simply because he was uh, 84 years old at the time, and uh, his wife was concerned about what might happen if he became ill overseas. Oh, well, and that absolutely makes sense. Of course, Stanton Friedman, which isn't known to everybody, was a dual citizen. He had both, he had natural Canadian citizenship and became a U.S. citizen as well. I believe yes. he maintained well, me, his, yes. Let me correct that. Stanton was born in Elizabethtown, New Jersey. Oh, it's vice um, versa. Yes, he was raised in New Jersey, and he uh, went to, uh, he graduated valedictorian of his high school class at age 16. Of he course. He was so intelligent that he had uh, skipped a couple of grades, and uh, he went to Rutgers University, and then he had been ad uh, admitted, he had been accepted to MIT but he came from a working-class family and simply didn't have the money to go to MIT. He did oh. receive a full scholarship to the University of Chicago, and uh, he finished his bachelor's degree in physics and his master's degree in physics at the University of Chicago. He was a classmate of Carl Sagan, and uh, he then went on to work as a nuclear physicist for uh, many different companies, as you mentioned. And uh, he had no interest in UFOs at the time, but he uh, was ordering uh, uh, several books, and if he ordered one more book, he would get free shipping. So he ended up uh, ordering a book written by Edward Ruppel, who was the head of the Air Force's Project Blue Book in the early 1950s, starting in 1952. Edward Ruppel had done um, a, a, an extensive study of UFOs using very good methodology. And in the end, 26% were true unknowns. So as a result of reading this very credible information, Stanton became interested in the topic and started to do additional research. 
and eventually, uh, after moving his family from one state to another when his government contract had uh, expired, uh, he ended up in California with the family. And uh, that contract expired six months later. And he wanted to keep his family in one place. He had adopted some handicapped children who needed special care, and it was so difficult to move from one place to another and find new doctors and new hospitals and new therapies that uh, he decided that he would just begin speaking about UFOs while he looked for a job as a nuclear physicist. Well, he did work part-time at various jobs as a nuclear physicist, but he also uh, devoted more and more time to the investigation of the government's files on UFOs and also the investigation of the Roswell UFO crash and the star map of Betty and Barney Hill. Stanton eventually divorced his first wife and uh, married a second wife who was from Canada. And uh, he moved to Canada with his wife and his children uh, so that they would be around her family. She came from a very large family, and they settled in Fredericton uh, so that she would be near her family while she traveled. So uh, that is his history in a nutshell. That is, that's, and thank you for that, Kathleen. In fact, that's a, a pretty good start to an obituary and appropriate for this occasion, sad as it is. But there's also a lot of joy in remembering Stanton Friedman. I know from my encounter with him and my conversations with him, because we did a few interviews, including one with the two of you together, and just setting up the interviews was a real pleasure. In fact, I am very proud to say that I was able to book the first interview of any kind with Stanton Friedman the morning, the very morning after the infamous ABC special, the primetime special on the UFO phenomenon. And when I got Stanton Friedman on the phone, we were just about to go on air. I said, Stanton, how are you doing this morning? And he said, I'm mad as hell. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was. If you and if you got to know Stanton Friedman, that would be the perfect response from him. That was just the man's personality. And he went on to explain during the interview and off air to me that he made so much time available to the people putting together this ABC special. Uh, many people will remember it, I believe, from 2005, if I recall correctly. And he made materials available. And you would be maybe more in the know than myself, Kathleen. Stanton told me, and I think it was off air, that he made materials available to the producers of that show that he never got back. I hope oh. that he did before he died, but I don't know. He said they still hadn't returned them. You know, and probably they had not. Uh, one thing about the, the media that we find is that we can give them materials, uh, and it's a good thing to have give them copies because you might not get them back. And I know for that show, Stan uh, did extensive interviews. He provided a lot of evidence, and it was ignored, and he was portrayed as a UFO promoter. They never even mentioned that he was a nuclear physicist. And that's very important to mention because a nuclear physicist of any stripe and any sense of respectability, certainly starting with self-respect, would not cave into a sort of UFO mania when you're a nuclear physicist. And of the, he did not have a PhD. When I suggested that we would introduce him as Dr. Friedman, he corrected me and said, no, I, I only have a master's because the field in which he worked really would have made a PhD, which he could have easily managed, would have been rather superfluous to his work. So he made his name in another way and, and in a very controversial way. But one thing about all physicists that I've noticed is that they take their science extremely seriously, particularly with regard to the scientific method. 
if they aren't doing the scientific method, maybe they deserve some of the criticism they get, but that wouldn't apply to Stanton Friedman. That is absolutely correct. He was a true scientist. And quite a courageous one, too. And you know what? By way, uh, tangentially, let me say the same for you, Kathleen. The two of you, as colleagues, did you not face a good deal of criticism, maybe occasionally fair, I don't know, but a lot of it unfair, and based on an inborn bias on the part of these so-called debunkers who do no research of their own. They just love to tear down other people's work. Yes, and Stanton always uh, talked about his rules for debunkers, four rules. What the public doesn't know, we certainly won't tell them. The largest official U.S. Air Force UFO study isn't even mentioned in 12 anti-UFO books, though every one of the book's authors was aware of it. Uh, and that study indicated that 21.5% of the 3,201 UFO uh, reports that were investigated were true unknowns. The second, don't bother with me with the facts. My mind is made up. The third, if one can't attack the data, attack the people, it is easier. And fourth, do one's research by proclamation rather than investigation. It's easier, and nobody will know the difference anyway. And that is the way uh, debunkers work. And I really don't care for the term debunkers. Stanton always did, but they're not debunkers. They're not taking the bunk out of anything. They're the ones who put the bunk in. They're the <laughs> ones who are the speculators. And in our book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, we laid all of that out. It's based upon our research at Physical Archival Collection, uh, where we read all of the files and all of the correspondence files of various uh, what I call disinformants. We took a look at their modus operandi, their background, why they did what they did, and exactly what they did and to whom. And what we discovered is that every major evidence case of UFOs or alien abduction were attacked by these disinformants. And not only were they attacked, in many cases, the individuals who were making the report were defamed. There was an attempt made to ruin their reputation and their careers. Kathleen, just out of curiosity, with Stanton Friedman uh, coming from his... Um, his scientific background, and, and you're being the niece of um, the Betty and Barney Hill duo there, um, you know, Betty, as it were. Um, how did you and Stanton come together? How did the two of you meet and then decide to collaborate? Well, I met Stanton many, many years ago through my aunt, Betty Hill, and I became a big fan. I went to his lectures and uh, really enjoyed and admired his work. I found it to be incredibly credible. And so I started to investigate my aunt and uncle's UFO close encounter and subsequent abduction way back in about 1990, maybe a little earlier than that. And I was writing a manuscript uh, that was going to be an investigation, my investigation, of their case. I had all of their documented evidence, all of the scientific reports, uh, their hypnosis tapes, which I transcribed for comparative analysis, had a wealth of uh, evidence and information. And so I had written most of the book in 2005. Betty had uh, passed away in 2004. So I thought that I needed to have uh, someone write the chapters on the scientific investigation of the star map that Betty gets. And Marjorie Fish was not available. She was the original brilliant woman who did the uh, research and investigation on that star map. Uh, she uh, had developed Alzheimer's and was uh, in the 
care facility. So what do I do? I thought, well, I should ask Stanton Friedman. And the two of us met at MUFON's International Symposium in 2005. It was in Denver, Colorado. I had walked by his vendor table several times during the day. And every time there was a huge crowd of tall men around his table and, and they were all talking, I could not get in uh, a word in edgewise. I'm five feet tall, so they were all far taller than me. Stanton probably didn't even know I was there. <laughs> so finally, I was ready to give up. I had tried so many times, but the, the symposium had ended. It was the end of the day. I walked by his table again, and he was packing his last few books into a box. And I approached him, and I said, I have uh, something that I would like to discuss with you. I'm writing a book on my aunt and uncle's case. And he said, sounds very interesting. Let's go have dinner, and we can talk about it. So we went into the restaurant. We talked at length. And uh, I invited him to come to my house. I was living in Stratham, New Hampshire at the time. And he ended up driving down from New Brunswick uh, to New Hampshire. He spent a few days with my husband and myself and uh, looked over all of the documented evidence that I had, the entire archival collection. I opened it up to him so that he could make photocopies of anything he wanted. He read my manuscript, and in the end, he said, I am very interested in joining you in writing this book because you are being scientific and unbiased. He said, if you were anything else, I would not do this. So I was, I was delighted, and um, he did end up writing the forward to the book, and also wrote two chapters uh, on the star map and on uh, the debunking of the star map. He refuted the debunkers. <laughs> he refuted the debunkers and took a particular and justified delight in doing so. As yep. a matter of fact, I, I, he didn't accept... Who was the, and the name escapes me, it's not even on the tip of my tongue, I just know that he existed. There was a man who was regarded as a gadfly to the UFO community. He was the editor, maybe publisher of Aviation Weekly. Yes, Aviation Weekly and Space Technology Magazine. His name was Philip Class. Oh, and, Philip Class, uh, the, the yes. infamous Mr. Class. Mr. Class. Uh, had no interest in UFOs until 1966. He then read uh, Don Fuller's book, The Incident at Exeter, and immediately made up his mind that uh, there was nothing at all to UFOs and that he couldn't dismiss reports by military officers and, and uh, police officers, but uh, they must just be mistaken. And that's the way he approached all of this. Uh, we discovered that uh, in our research at the American Philosophical Society that Philip Class had uh, immediately become extremely friendly with Dr. Edward Condon, who was the director of the scientific studies on UFOs at the University of Colorado, and Robert Lowe, who uh, was the project coordinator. Although, although uh, class knew almost nothing about UFOs, he started to give them ideas on how to debunk UFOs and how to uh, make this study biased, more biased than it already was. And I found that to be quite extraordinary. In fact, uh, Dr. James McDonald was the leading uh, scientist who researched UFOs in that time frame. He had done research for 10 years. He was a meteorological physicist from the University of Arizona, had been the department head, and uh, took 
of serious interest in UFOs. We found evidence that Class had uh, attempted to destroy his career and was successful in having his military funding uh, cut off so that he could not do any more UFO studies when he was elsewhere around the world uh, doing cloud studies. So that was completely cut off. Class did uh, a bang-up job of destroying his career. And, and a life. And, yes, and his life. And also, Ed, Dr. Edward Condon ended up writing a letter to McGraw-Hill. I have the letter in my possession. And McGraw-Hill was the publishing company uh, that published Aviation Week and, and uh, Space Technology Magazine. What he wrote, what Edward Condon wrote, is that Philip Class should be the mainstream media guy to be the spokesperson on the UFO topic because the likes of Professor James McDonald uh, was not credible, that James McDonald had foibles that Philip Class did not have. And Philip Class became the mainstream guy for the, uh, or the go-to guy for the mainstream media, and for years deceived the public on UFOs. And that is why wiseacres like myself, perhaps certain others, refer to the Condon Report as the Condom Report because it was intended from the foundation to be a prophylactic against the truth coming out about UFOs, the so-called flying saucer phenomenon. We're about to take a break, and I think I'll stop there. When we come back, I'll pick that up, and then I want to bring uh, circa 1978, bring us back to Stanton Friedman when the lid just got blown off the cover-up of the Roswell incident. It all ties together most mysteriously and most compellingly. That's why we are so fortunate to have you with us, Kathleen Marden. There's so much more to learn for anybody who has any interest in the topic of unidentified flying objects. Give us a couple of minutes back with more of Manson Mitchell, more of Kathleen Marden, more reminiscences of the late, great Stanton Friedman when we return to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Olivia, from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America 
and the Ad Council. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Kathleen Martin as she joins us to honor the memory and share her recollections of Stanton Friedman, known as the father of ufology. On Saturday, Kelly Sullivan Walden, the Dream Doctor, talks about those nighttime movies and how to interpret what you're seeing. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. And our guest this hour, Kathleen Marden, as we talk about Stanton T. Friedman, who was a father of ufology, and Kathleen's remembrances and recollections of Stanton Friedman as uh, we celebrate his life in that particular field. Kathleen, if people wanted to... Um, get your books or connect with you online or through social media. What are the best places for them to do that? Well, uh, my books are available through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and autographed copies of my books are available through my website at Kathleen, with a K, dash, Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, dot com. The three books that Stanton and I have written together I have both of our signatures. I've done two books without him, and uh, so they'll have my signature. And uh, also, uh, I am on Facebook, and people can connect with me through Facebook as well. And if people uh, have had a UFO abduction experience and they would like to speak with somebody who will listen to them non-judgmentally and give them support to help them with what they've been through, they can go to the Mutual UFO Network site at www.mufon.com. I am the director of the team. I have 34 people who work under me, and uh, they are available. They're experienced. Some of them are uh, experiencers themselves. Some are uh, psychotherapists or retired psychotherapists. Some are hypnotherapists. And some are just plain uh, caring, generous individuals who will assist people uh, with their concerns. And uh, you just fill out the uh, experiencer questionnaire. There are 30 questions, very simple to do, and that will connect you with my assistant director, Dr. George Medic, who is a retired orthopedic surgeon, and he will assign a member of the team to, uh, to call you and to write to you to set up an appointment. You know, Kathleen, when Gary and I met Stanton Friedman in Seattle all those years ago, Gary and I had both had somewhat of an interest in ufology, and mine began back in college when I took a a general science course for non-science majors, and the professor was J. Allen Hynek. She took a class at Northwestern from Dr. Hynek. Yeah. Right, and, and so that got that piqued my interest back in the '70s, and then all those years later, when Gary and I got together, neither one of us had gone into well, I, I can't speak for Gary, but I had not gone into any depth about it. I had just, you know, read a couple of books, but I had not gone into any any deep interest. When we went to see Stanton Friedman, I was quite captivated by the slides that he had, because it it seems like there's one path of ufology just having to do with, you know, unidentified, you know, aerial phenomenon or flying objects or whatever, however you want to categorize that. But there is a whole other field that you're now getting into having to do with the experiencers, having to do with the uh, abductees and he exposed me to that for the first time when he was showing slides of people who had claimed that they had been abducted and one of the common features 
was that they had little scoops of uh, skin and flesh taken off their body that had healed mostly without scarring. They were just like little scoops out. And, And I was so fascinated by that when we were watching these slides. And to me, it just took the whole... UFO experience to a a much different place, a much different level. One thing to be talking about objects in the sky, quite another thing to talk about people in the presence of alien entities who had their bodies, um, you know, looked at and then parts of their flesh taken. And so that brought me to a whole different place, even thinking about the subject. And then, of course, I found out that was one of Stanton Friedman's interest, which you're now taking up. Does that, um, when you talk to the experiencers, don't you feel like that is just like an entirely new world of of uf ufology when you're looking at people who say that they have met people from another planet and this is what happened to them well i first of all i want to say that i'm not just taking this up i have been doing this since the 1980s and uh, i have been uh, an expert that's why i was chosen for mufon to, uh, to head up their experience or research team in 2011. I'm also a hypnotherapist and a quantum healing hypnosis technique practitioner. And uh, yes, there are uh, it's more than just poop marks. There are other marks that we see time and time again on the bodies of individuals who have had these experiences uh, and also I'm not sure if you're aware of Dr. Roger Lear. Uh, He passed away a few years ago. But he was the leading researcher who was actually removing these implants from the bodies of experiences. And they had certain properties that were very, very perplexing. He found that they were coated with a type of material so that the body would not reject them. They were attached to the proprioceptor nerve endings in the body. They seemed to have intelligence because when the surgeon would attempt to remove them, they could run up a person's arm to try to get away from that surgeon's knife or their uh, foot or their leg, wherever that implant was. They, they found that uh, in laboratory analysis that one of these implants would transmit uh, a radio microwave frequency into deep space. They have been analyzed. They uh, are of a crystalline structure that uh, is far above any technology that we have here on Earth. They're composed of rare earth and meteoric material. And uh, they just have some very unique and perplexing properties, and uh, not anything that we have here on Earth. For a long time, people thought that perhaps it was a tracking device, but it seems that it's more than just a tracking device, because people have these removed, and they are still taken. And people are taken time and time again. We know now that this follows family lines. And so uh, we think that they are also serve as communication devices, and we think that they might monitor the health of the human body, too, because I have some credible cases where people have actually been healed from things like cancer uh, when they have been taken to craft. They've been healed by these non-human entities, and I even have what... Uh, is an orb in motion, and uh, these orbs are very, very common uh, among experiencers. I have several photographs of moving orbs inside experiencers' homes. In this particular case, the experiencer was 
suffering from lymphoma. He was going to have uh, surgery. I have his medical records, and also a medical doctor in California has his records. In his bedroom one night, an orb came in. It slid down his bedroom wall. It flew like a butterfly across the room, hovered above his body momentarily, put out like little tentacles, and then dove down into his body. When he awoke 12 or so hours later, he discovered that the very large nodes in his neck were no longer large. By the time he went for surgery, they removed three tiny necrotic nodes. They were dying. I would like to have read the doctor's write-up after that surgery. Well, <laughs> well yeah. they were in there before. Yes, absolutely. That is amazing stuff. I want to make sure that I tie up some loose ends, Kathleen. When it comes to the the investigation, the Condon report, which really was prophylactic in favor of the skeptics because they did not want to panic the public. It it would tarnish scientific integrity, supposedly. It, It was just too bad that these cases were not in their entirety taken seriously, and I think you can back me up on this, Kathleen, because a statistically significant number of reports were regarded and categorized in the report as unexplained, despite every attempt to explain them away or perhaps cast aspersions on the people making the report, indicating they were not credible, whatever it was, there were many, many cases that simply could not be explained And yet, decades have gone past and people say, well, that's already been debunked. And Phil Klass was certainly one of the people willing to run with that and to tragic effect because, and you tell the story, Kathleen, ultimately what happened to the brilliant and dedicated Dr. McDonald? Yes, well, first let me say that in the Condon Report, a study uh, done a year later indicated that 30% of those cases were true unknowns. So that was highly significant. However, Dr. Edward Condon uh, wrote the foreword to the book and offered his opinion. And his opinion disagreed with the actual information inside that book. But it was his opinion that was taken to the National Academy of Sciences. And that opinion had actually been formed. I have evidence of this before he did day one of his his so-called scientific study of UFOs, and some of it was scientific. Um, But uh, then the uh, National Academy of Sciences recommended that uh, funding should be given to uh, UFO, uh, well, funding should be given to social scientists who wanted to study these individuals for seeing UFOs in the sky and making these reports. So that was rather, uh, I don't know what you call it, (laughs) curious to say the very least. Yes, it was a redirecting of resources to suit an ulterior purpose. And then Dr. James McDonald ultimately took his own life. He did, uh, very, very unfortunately. Um, I wrote about that in fact fiction and Dr. McDonald was highly regarded. In fact, Stanton Friedman thought that he was the most scientific, best ufologist ever to have lived. Wow. uh, That was Stan's opinion. Coming from Stanton Friedman, what a compliment. Yes, absolutely. We, We have held him in very high regard. And Stanton and Philip Plath, Uh, time and time again, would go to his lectures and set him up to take a fall. And he uh, submitted false information to Jack Anderson at the Washington Post, who wrote for the newspaper, that uh, Dr. McDonald was uh, misusing naval research funds on a trip that he made to Australia. Uh, for his cloud study. And what McDonald actually was doing was during his time off, he was doing 
UFO investigation, research, that sort of thing. Not with the funding. But Philip Class informed uh, the Washington Post and Jack Anderson, who believed what he said, that this had occurred. There was a huge investigation into James McDonald. He was exonerated. But at the same time, Philip Class made such a stink over all of this, uh, telling the Navy if they gave him any more funding that he would take it to uh, Congress and to the people. And so naval funding, research funding, was ended for James McDonald. Uh, also, there was going to be uh, a meeting with his peers. There was a meeting that took place. Uh, class and others managed to influence that meeting so that his colleagues ended up laughing at him. Uh, he was really destroyed by Philip Class, and not so much by Edward Condon. He had a lot more character than Class did. Um, and But I have evidence of uh, Class working with Do Dr. Donald Menzel from Harvard University. Stanton went to Dr. Menzel's uh, collection there uh, wanting some more information about what made Menzel tick. Why was this debunker who wrote his first anti-UFO book in 1953 mentioned as a member of Majestic 12, that top secret UFO group that assembled after the Roswell crash that was in September uh, that they assembled of, of 1947 when the crash was in July of 19. So uh, there was a lot of information there, a lot of uh, evidence that uh, McDonald was completely destroyed uh, through a variety of, of things. I have a letter that Dr. Menzel wrote to Philip Klatt, and Dr. Menzel uh, said, welcome aboard, I'm glad to have uh, some help. I'm getting tired of doing this. So that indicates a, a government connection there. And what Stanton found out about Dr. Menzel at Harvard is that he had uh, a connection to the NSA and had the long, he bragged about having the longest association with the NSA of anyone. And Stanton found a letter that Menzel had written to John Kennedy in response to a letter Kennedy had written. And Menzel said to Kennedy, I can tell you more when we are properly cleared to one another. And it should be pointed out that the National Security Agency is not subject to congressional investigation. They answer only to the president. This is such extraordinary stuff. I'm tempted to get back in the UFO game, Kathleen. <laughs> this well, is really you amazing. Read, you have to read our book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. We're very proud of that book. We, we found a great deal of evidence in the correspondence files of these individuals on what was actually going on. Uh, people in our field have been trying to investigate it, trying to find the answers, had done a lot of speculation over many, many years. We are not speculating. We have the evidence, and it's documented in our book. Uh, you can read the footnotes. You'll know just where to go to find that information. Absolutely. I, we have five minutes to go. We'll never get to all that we could talk about. But I did want to ask you this, Kathleen, and you look in your inbox for an invitation to come back real soon because I'm loving this. So is Suzanne, despite her pain with the broken toe. Uh, I just I guess I wanted to ask you flat out, Kathleen Martin, did Stanton Friedman ever say to you at any point, I believe that what you say happened to your aunt and to Barney Hill really happened. Did he ever give you certitude on that subject? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He did believe that it happened. He had met Betty and Barney uh, before Barney passed in 1969. He had dinner with them. He was favorably impressed by both of them. They were not exaggerating.
what had happened at all. Uh, he found that they were intelligent and articulate, and he uh, did an investigation uh, of their evidence of what had happened to them. Uh, he has the Air Force records as well. I submitted a lot more evidence to him that he didn't have. And yes, he believed 100% that this happened to Betty and Barney. That's important for me to know because years and years ago, I came to accept their story and I could look at it from multiple angles. But the thing that convinced me was the fact that the Hills underwent hypnosis, this harrowing recounting with the help of an eminent psychiatrist in Boston. And when they gave this information, it was with the explicit understanding that it would not be revealed to the public. And on another occasion, you'll tell the story, as you have in the past, about how that got out. But one thing for sure, Betty and Barney Hill did not want their story to become public. They were not seeking publicity. They were not sensationalists. They were trying to cope with something that was tearing them up inside, and they didn't know how to account for this extraordinary macabre incident. And yet the word got out. When it hit the newspapers, all hell broke loose. That is very true. And you know, Betty was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. Barney worked for the post office. But he had also been very active in civil rights. He had been appointed to the U.S. Civil Rights Committee State Advisory Board. And uh, there was absolutely no reason that he would want for any of this to be made public, Betty either, because it would destroy their credibility. And they were highly regarded in the state of New Hampshire. Absolutely, that is, they were well regarded all the way around. Well, I'm going to um, invite you once again to name the books that you wrote with Stanton Friedman so we can get the word out. And the one you mentioned a moment ago is next on my reading list. Okay, it is Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. Uh, the next one was Science Was Wrong. And then after that, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. And that's the only one missing from our library, but not for long. That's going to be an incredible read. I think what we'll do, Kathleen, is uh, invite someone else who was uh, near and dear to Stanton Friedman, and that would be many people, but I'll find the right one pairing them with yourself, and we will take up Roswell because we've done an hour of reminiscences here and didn't really say anything about the Roswell incident. And for Roswell alone, the world is indebted to Stanton Friedman and his groundbreaking research. He blew the lid off a cover-up that had gone on for decades, literally. And I would love to discuss that on another occasion with your honorable self, Kathleen, if you will return. Yes, I would be pleased to return. In our last minute, I want to mention once again, if you want to read an incredible story that has credibility to offer, it's mind-boggling. The True Story of the World's First Documented Alien Abduction. The book is called Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. Stanton T. Friedman, co-writer, co-author Kathleen Marden. Kathleen being the niece of Betty Hill. This is an extraordinary work. And I might also mention that it's available on Kindle. I've got both the paper copy and Kindle. And so I can say I take it where, with me wherever I go. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen. Please Thank come you. and join us again. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Who, who's coming up next? Christine Upchurch, followed, followed by, by Susan Harmon, followed by American Road Trip Talk, hosted by Gary Mance. And the subject today is Key West, and we just got back from there. What a trip that was. We're going to talk to a remarkable lady known as Key West Rebecca. She's a concierge, and she's full of good information. We hope that your weekend is full of good things, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on Seattle's AM 1150. Have this be a start to a great weekend for all of you. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.